0: It's bonus pod 195. Um Phil is well he's kind of he's still away slash on his way depending on I'm not sure of his schedule. Not sure of his schedule. He's either only just still in Malaysia or he's on his way back. I'm recording this on the Friday. Big changes. There wasn't quite enough time on the Wednesday. It's been a very busy week. Pour moi. Um, I am trying to enact a load of resolutions. How about you guys? Send, send in your resolutions. Let me know how you plan to improve yourselves like some sort of self-fixing robot. Um, I've got all the usual ones to do with health and blah, blah. Um, I'd like to be a consistent weight for the whole year. Imagine that. Imagine weighing the same. I weigh so much. Um, Which is never going to change, because I'm a big boy. But it would be nice if it was a consistent number. If only for the sake of my genes. Uh, Both J and G. Both types of genes. Um, Exciting announcements coming soon. Brace yourselves. Gird your loins. I've never quite... I should look that up. Because... What does it mean? Armour your crotch? Cover your dick? <laughs> Are you ready to fight? Well, I've covered my dick. Good your loins. Origin. Ah, from the Bible. It's from the Bible, everyone. Everyone's favourite book. Okay, if you wore a flowing tunic, uh, everyone's wearing these big tunics. If you had to do something difficult physically, it's how you have to sort of tie up the flowing fabric and tuck it into your girdle. Or substantial belt. That's what the grammarist calls it. <laughs> a substantial belt. Would that be a compliment? It sounds like you're calling someone fat. My, what a substantial belt you have. Yes, that would be a, a sort of um, Shakespearean insult for someone being fat. He is of most substantial belt. There's no f- anti-fatness in um. Is there any anti-fat, any fat shaming in Shakespeare? They talk about. Um, um, what's his name? Thingstaff. Falstaff. He pops up a lot. His job is to be big and fat and extremely horny and drunk all the time. He's like a sort of uh, jolly trencherman. But they sort of. They do sort of make fun of it, but it's seen as a kind of hilarious lifestyle choice, as opposed to a sign of some deep. <laughs> you know. He's not eating his feelings kind of thing, is the implication. He's just sort of so jolly. He loves he loves kidney pie so much that he's ten times as fun. That's the sort of implication, the jolliness aspect. Quite medieval. And being fat would have been a sign of great wealth and success, of course. So. Or if not great wealth, certainly some. Maybe my New Year's resolution is to be less Falstaffian less less jolly fewer jolly, more grim, more like a Dickens character frowning at uh, at um books of accounts and things you know um what are the other resolutions um uh, sketches more ske- a sketch in every bud pot and a chicken in every pot that's another one we are a little remiss everyone apologies, apologies. It's just been so we do I think the pandemic allowed us to do so many remotely that it's it's sort of harder to to do. But it's there's no excuse. There's no excuse. No excuse, ten points from Gryffindor. I'm not in Gryffindor, I'm in Slytherin, that's for sure. I'm cunning and um I like wet basements to live in. Oh will we read those books to our children? I don't know if we will. Will we? I don't know if we will. Um, all the uh, what's in the what's in the news today? I've been rewatching The Simpsons, and God, it's good. Fucking hell! Uh, especially one to nine. It's just you—you you forget. You know it's good, but you forget just the sheer quality of the jokes. Such clever little jokes, my God. Stuff I would never have noticed even. Ten years ago. Certainly not as a kid. God. Highly recommended. Um, all the Prince Harry shit came out yesterday. Um, I have some friends who are big royal watchers. And uh, they they are a gog. They are a gog. Um, a lot of... A lot of... Um, more commentary than I would have thought about him talking about killing 25 Taliban. I mean... I don't know. I suppose... People get very icky feeling about that sort of thing. Whereas it was sort of obvious. I mean, he was in a helicopter gunship and he flew lots of missions. It's, I'd be very surprised that he'd killed no one. I'd be sort of like, well, what, what the fuck were you doing? <laughs> Come on. But, you know, that makes people feel icky, I suppose. Death. Whereas um, the stuff I find weird is that he saw a psychic, he saw... Oh, God. You know what annoys me? What annoys me... People, people say, oh, I'm annoyed that there's royal family coverage because these people are silly and don't matter. I disagree. I'm annoyed precisely because these people are silly and do matter. The very fact they're in the news is why they matter and is what makes them matter and shows you that they do matter. The proof is in the pudding. Um, the proof is in the pudding. So it's, it's a bit like saying... Um, you know they may not. They, when people say that, what they mean is they don't matter to me. They're they're, they're displaying their anti-monarchy or or, or monarchy sceptic credentials, aren't they? They're saying, "Well, I think they don't matter," and they're a bit like old people who say, "Kim Kardashian, who?" Like, yeah, well done you, but also it doesn't deduct the, it doesn't take anything away from this person's power. Yeah, but I think that person is stupid and shallow. And um, does bad things that harm society or the mass psychic health of people. Sure, but the fact that they can do that means they're powerful, and if they're powerful, they matter. Your opinion on it is no is is a is a zero point zero one times like to the power minus a thousand, like a tiny fraction of a millionth of a percent of their power. So yeah. You saying I don't care deducts like enough, a, a, an atom away from their power. But these people are rich and powerful and can get things negotiated at government levels and have power. And they're like money, the money on its own would make them powerful enough to be worthy of press coverage. They're oligarch level wealthy and they're much more connected than any oligarch. So unfortunately, when they do things like consult a psychic or push each other into a dog bowl. It will make the new, it will make the news and it does' matter, and they constitutionally matter. The other thing that's irritated me about it is all the American coverage. my partner was listening to a podcast where two American girls who talk like this were talking about the Royals, and they were saying like the royal family's job is to like be a distraction from how awful life is and ha And it's not true because that's exactly the, the I think what Meghan Markle thought going in as well, probably from what she said. Like, oh, I'm joining, like, it's like joining, (laughs) it's like joining a boy band. Or, you know, I'm joining the cast members of a reality show. Like, it might functionally be similar, but that's not their job. They have a constitutional role from the fucking medieval times in this country. They have a governmental role. They do have weird duties and responsibilities. The duties and responsibilities are inappropriate, outdated, and and might be not exactly hugely taxing. But the fact is they're there. It's not a reality show. People do take it seriously, so you can't be sort of ironic about your bowing because no, no, no. Like this guy's ancestor disemboweled so many people; he owns England. That, that's how they came to be there. That's the thing people forget. It's like, so I mean, my my oh, god, I was thinking about this today. My my tutor at, at university, we I did a, basically early medieval history, Anglo-Saxon, Norse, and Celtic studies. Very employable degree and it's very interesting highly recommend it and my, my tutor I remember her saying she's great by the way Elizabeth Boyle she has um, a book I think I have it here Fierce Appetites Fierce Appetites is her biography autobiography but it's mixed in with early early Irish history and things it's brilliant it's like a bestseller I don't know Everyone's everyone I've seen lots of social media about people talking about how great it is um, I remember her saying that the easiest way to understand early medieval monarchy and early medieval church, in a lot of cases, the closest thing to really get across how it may or may not work for people is the mafia. Because what do you call it when there are a series of individuals, businesses, farmers, blacksmiths, whatever, and there's an organization that says, you pay me protection money, and I will kill anyone who fucks with you, but if you don't pay me the protection money or you don't do what I say, I will kill you. That's it. That's the system. And this is, a, you know, it's an oversimplification, but the fact is that there was a deal in place and some people liked the deal, some people didn't, but ultimately it was enforced with a sword and um, it was organized and little dodgy deals were done and you had to be within the family and blah, blah, blah. It is a, it is a kind of mafia-style system that what we have now is descended from. So that's the thing. You can have all these medals and, and banners and lovely stuff now, but it's like uh, if your great-grandfather was Al Capone and now you have a delightful uh, a fountain in your garden and a sort of mansion and butlers, and you go, well, yeah, but I, we all know how you got this. <laughs> you killed all the other mafia guys. The The mafia duke of wherever chopped off the head of the other guy and absorbed his land, and so now there's a lovely stately home that pensioners have cream teas in. And uh, the church similarly. Um Not that it wasn't sincere. They did all believe in what they were doing. Never make that mistake. Never think that, ah, these guys were like, ha, ha, ha. I don't actually think that I'm noble and honorable. They did. Um, They really were very sincere people. That's the scariest part, isn't it, is finding out that people are sincere. It's like finding out that, you know, the Taliban are sincere. They're really sincere. They're not cynical. They don't just think, ha, ha, now we get to run a country. No, they really, really believe in what they're doing. They, that's what they said. Believe what they say. That's what they say. Anyway, it annoys me that the Americans seem to not understand that this isn't a fucking Real housewife show. It's like, it's it's written into the Constitution. It's, it's, it's George Washington stuff, you know. Anyway, none of this is particularly funny, but... If you're going to sit on your own and talk into a microphone sat on bed, which is what I'm doing, well, that's all going to come out, isn't it? All the thoughts and opinions are going to come tumbling out. I've got the microphone set up on a sort of pillow folded under my arm. So it's a bit like I've got the microphone in a kind of headlock and I'm doing a podcast into its face like a bully. (laughs) Like I'm saying to the microphone, stop podcasting yourself. Stop podcasting yourself. And the microphone's saying, I'm trying. I thought I'd be used for music. That's what the microphone's saying. (laughs) Um, But yes, Prince Harry's in the news for being, I was going to say, weirder than we all thought, but probably not. Probably not. I read that he hallucinated a bin talking to him on mushrooms. That sounds fun. The trouble is, when he starts to say things like, and it showed him the truth, I mean, maybe. Would you trust a bin? Knowing what they eat? Hmm. I don't know. I'm also, you look, and I'm a hypocrite because I, I, I think the monarchy is ridiculous, but equally, I don't know what you could replace it with in the UK where like, a WhatsApp group I'm in, someone sent a, a thing where, so when, when, when the Queen died and Prince Charles, well, he hasn't technically fully taken over yet, but you know, he's not crowned. Um, people sent him money. In in cards and stuff, people actually sent him cash. A guy who owns Cornwall, you know. And people go, "Oh yeah, but it's government money." Not all of it is. A lot of it they own privately. And even then, the government money, like it can't really go down. So it's twenty five million a year that you get to tootle around with. You can you can use it to invest in your weird biscuit business, like him, or like the late queen. You can use it to pay off your son's sexual accusers. You can use the money as you wish. But um, the fact that people sent the king money, <laughs> the reason this came out is because he said, "Oh, the, the king will honorably redirect all the gifts and money sent to him to charities. Very nice. Obviously the bare minimum you, you would expect. But this is a country where people can see on the news that there is a king and his chair is made of gold, and they go. Oh, I'll send him a tenner. And I don't know if you can. A country like that will never get rid of that institution. It's so emotional. Everyone associates it with like their memories and their grandparents and the war and um, the royal wedding. Oh, that's nice. And oh, I when I was a kid, I remember when they were younger. We were both younger. That's people's feeling on it, isn't it nice? I remember when we were younger. And if something ends, then it reminds everyone that things every everything has to end, and that they're going to die. So they say no. We need to keep this institution because of an indirect fear of death. I have uh, seems to be the <laughs> and they might value tradition and and uh, symbolism and believe the royal family does a valuable job. Sure, but you know, in my in my fake. Um, psychologist's chair I'm gonna say it's partially an indirect fear of, of death <laughs> um, so you never get rid of it so I, I feel like is it a waste of time for me to have my beliefs you know is it a waste of time to just go or, or do, do I do I treat the royal family like the minimum level of crime because there will never be no crime that's impossible I'd really believe that but if you can say that crime is down to this like pathetic minimal level, you're like, well, we've done it. It's basically a, a utopia. It's as close as it's possible to get. Is is the royal family the minimum level of royal family that this country could tolerate? Because I think the second... Whenever people say, oh, well, we should cut their budget and they should be like the Dutch royal family who just have to live in you know two mansions that aren't that big. I disagree. I, I, there's a great anti-monarchist... Or a quote about the monarchy. I can't, someone clever said it. I don't remember. But you can't get rid of this institution by snipping away at its hem, at the hem of its robes. And I think that's right. You can't, there's no point in in just removing all the gold braid and having something that is intellectually and philosophically wrong, is incorrect. Like they aren't better. They have no reason to have this power or money. And then just make it a shit version of that. You know, it's like saying, well, from now on, the guy who bullies you will be dressed in rags. Like, no, it's like, <laughs> stop the bullying. It doesn't matter how he's dressed. We're like, we'll, we'll fund him even less. Get rid of it or keep it, I think. And because we're not going to get rid of it, maybe I think that we should keep it. You see how I've turned this whole thing around? You see how I've turned this whole thing around? And people say, oh, well, you, well, you want a president, maybe. What about President Trump? And I go, yeah, what about President Obama? They had him for twice as long. They have to go, at least. Wouldn't you rather have a rotating cast of maniacs? And I think the answer is no. People would much rather have one maniac for 70 years. Or, in Charles's case, what, 10? 10 years? People like continuity. People hate change. People hate change. Imagine if we changed the Bud Pod. People would hate it, there'd be riots. Imagine if we started whispering every episode like we were, we were hiding from a killer. Listening figures would plummet. <laughs> oh, um, I've already done it on the main pod, but no harm doing it here. Extra shows, guys. February 6th, 6th 7th and 8th of February. Soho Theatre, Central London. They're selling okay. But when you sell out the first week, you want to sell out the bonus days. you want people to think you've got an army, an army behind you., Ugh. here's a question. Here's a pitch for you guys. I was thinking, would would I assume that because you guys are listening to this, you are the podcasting elite, not just for us, you're the v i p s You're behind the velvet rope. Coughing champagne, as newspapers would say. And sparkling piss. And... uh, (laughs) Not just for us, though. For everything. I assume that you guys are also deep into some other stuff. I assume some of you like ASMR. I assume some of you like my friend Garrett Millerick, excellent comedian. You watch videos of people restoring computers from the 90s on YouTube. Things like that. Okay? We're all online. Um, Would people... E.g. you guys, but also the public in general, do you think? Do you reckon? What's your theory? Do you think people would pay for, like, recordings of a podcast that are, is designed to go to sleep to? Because I know a lot of people go to sleep to podcasts. I still cri- I cried laughing. I don't know who sent it in. It was on the main pod. I read it out. Someone fell asleep listening to Bud Hart and woke up. During a sketch where I was feeding a mannequin yogurt <laughs> and talking to it in a sort of posh voice. And it, I found it really horrible and confusing. And I thought, oh, that was. Br- oh, I love that. Horrible. What a horrible way to be awoken in the middle of the night. Um, anyway, that's that's a sort of. Could you even call that a business idea? I was thinking about it over, over Christmas because I used to go to sleep listening to stuff. I don't anymore. For some reason, I can't, I can't now. Now that's my worst. The idea is, it's, it just sounds awful to me. But I used to go to sleep listening to things for years and years. So I, I get it. You know, I was in the market. I was in the demographic. But what if, guys, I found some out-of-copyright books? I mean, all of Charles Dickens, if it's an early enough edition, just read that, and then just, you know, you pump it out. But the trouble is the adverts, because you don't want to be, you know, Mr. Fezziwig jigged in a marvellous circle, boo-boo-doo, auto repair, auto replace, you know, that to <laughs> completely wake you up with this horrible, and we know how loud the adverts are. I do try and mix the main podcast to be as loud as adverts come in. I don't know how much I've been succeeding because I can't, we don't have any control over the the adverts mixing. But I try to make it loud enough so that you turn us down enough that when it happens, it's not louder too much. It's not a shock to your ears. Um, Doesn't apply on this one, obviously. This is ad-free in the VIP. But would that be a thing? Would you guys like that? Something like that? I suppose because of the advert problem, you'd have to put it on Patreon from the very start. Maybe. Or maybe on YouTube. But then the adverts again, we had the same problem. As HBO taught America in the 1980s, there are certain art forms that just aren't possible. Or as good with ad breaks. You know you can now get Netflix with ads voluntarily. Uh, amazon prime as well there's like stuff you can watch for cheaper or that's only available through ads I'm just reinventing everything it's just television again isn't it guess i guess it's on demand Ugh. gross 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 now what i'm trying to think if there's any other sort of updates for you guys resolutions that's what i want from you guys if any Exercise, health, wellness. I'm trying to be more busy. I've got lots of writing things to do. They're not obligatory and no one's paying me, but I should do them. If any of you are interested in, in becoming some sort of writer, beware. Keep your job for as long as you can because all these things that you write and you are, I'm pitching a sitcom. Generally, that means you've written a whole thing with either no money or really not enough money to to live on for the time you spent writing it. So if you want to do creative writing and you, you, you sit and you look out the window and you think, I should go on a course or I could do a master's in it. Just remember, you need to envisage a version of that reality where either you live like a dormouse in a lovely cottage somewhere, which could be nice, or... You know you you write around your job, Sarah Milliken did that apparently she would get into work, Sarah Milliken seven a m or something because work had a computer with a word processor that she could use to write out stand up and she didn't have one at home because she couldn't afford one or just didn't have one, I guess both, and then like then she'd be in the office for like nine, but she'd have spent all this time writing before like that's the level that's the real deal. some famous author it's not Keats or something, it's not a poet, but it's like an author of that era, the sort of Virginia Woolf era, maybe a bit older. He kept his job at a bank the whole time he was a writer. And people would say to him, why? He was really successful, and he was like, I'm out of a job, (laughs) like he was that old school. I'm Googling writer who kept his job at a bank. (laughs) Authors who kept their day jobs, there we go. Oh, gosh. Eleven authors who kept their day jobs. Here we go. Virginia Woolf. There you go. Oh, well, okay. They say she kept her day job. She was from a very wealthy family, I think. She may have been able to afford a room of her own, but she didn't live leisurely. Along with her husband, she founded a publishing house. You go, right, okay, so... Yeah, day job. They published The Wasteland by T.S. Eliot. It's it's pretty relevant. It's pretty relevant, guys. T.S. Eliot worked at Lloyd's Bank. There you go. From 1917 to 1925, it was during this time that he completed and published The Wasteland. Um, the author of Angela's Ashes taught in New York City high schools and colleges his entire career. Oh, of course, a book about how miserable Ireland is is by someone from America, from New York. I assume that's what the book's about. I've just seen clips of the film. It looks depressing. Oof. Franz Kafka. Worked at an insurance company. William Carlos Williams. I'm afraid I don't know this. Oh, he's a poet. He was a doctor. Borges. Bourge. Borges. Librarian. These all They're all pretty relevant, aren't they? None of these guys are um, snipers. What's the least relevant job for an author to have at the same time? I suppose you could whimsically, you know, sewer worker. You go, ah, no, but delving in the depths of, ah, relevant. Someone called Wallace Stevens, who has won a Pulitzer Prize, who I've never heard of, which makes me feel it's steel paid uh, insurance as well. Interesting. Um, Philip Larkin, librarian again. Yes, of course. Philip Larkin with his depressing poems and his addiction to porn. Bram Stoker kept his prestigious day job as the personal assistant of Henry Irving and the business manager of the Lyceum Theatre. What? That's mental. See, and they've put Lewis Carroll in here as well, which I think is a cheat. Because Lewis Carroll, like Virginia Woolf, if you're wealthy enough, it's like he was also a mathematician, photographer, and teacher. You go, yeah, but I mean, these are these are not day jobs in the sense that we would understand it. He was also a pedo, I think. Wasn't he wealthy? Let's find out. Da, da, da. Okay, so mid, middle class... Victorian middle class, which is fancier than our middle class now, because it was a little rarer, I suppose. Army officers or Anglican Anglican clergymen. There you go. He went to rugby, so they must have had some money. Certain number of shillings? Academic. Yeah, it's all it's all from a different era. I can't imagine any now. I can't imagine any now where someone is, you know... You have to stack shelves at Asda and... It's it's harder now, I think. It's harder. It's, the worst job to have would be a job that occupies your mind and is also drudgery. At least if you're just doing something really, just like pull the lever, your mind can be thinking about your writing. But uh, if it's something where you do have to engage your brain a bit, no space for writing, and your brain's tired at the end of the day, Ugh. is the solution to be a pretentious fuck and do morning pages? Which is when you'd write immediately upon waking and do your morning pages. Bleh. Maybe I should do that. I mean, I was just being a fucking lazy. Hmm. We'll see. We'll see how these resolutions go, everyone. Well, I've managed to do. I've managed to do the half an hour on my own. Worried, Philip? <laughs> it's not been funny, though. Maybe at points. It's mainly been a sort of, um... uh, It's the sort of lecture a tramp in a top hat would give, I'd say. Overall. (laughs) But, you know, maybe if you're falling asleep to it, that's marvellous. Maybe, maybe. Okay, well, um... Apologies for Philip's tardiness, everyone. He is on the other side of the world. Um... So there's nothing to be done. Nothing to be done. His Malaysian adventure has taken him further into the non-podcast territories of the earth than we'd ever dreamed of. Normal service resumes next week. Um, and I. it would be exciting. Well, we're very excited about BudPod Live. That's basically a month away, guys. BudPod Live. Sold out, thanks to you guys. In like an hour or something. And... Um, There might be another BudPod live coming. We'll see. So keep your eyeballs peeled. Horrible. Um, And I will talk to you guys next week along with Philippu. Okay, bye.